we're living in a day of grace. And oftentimes when we hear the word grace, it sounds nice, right? It sounds like uh, grace is something that I would like to have happen to me. When Jesus came, it said that he was full of grace and of truth. And, you know, the Old Testament is full of law. But oftentimes people like to use the word grace as a license to sin. Now, I don't know where you stand on all this, but the real question is, is that what the Bible speaks is a license to sin? That's coming at you now. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. That's not just a defensive posture, but that is an offensive posture. We want the gospel to go out in the culture around us. We want to see people saved. We want to see people transformed in their lives. We want to see that leaven in our own lives. We want to see the leaven around us. So the resistance really is a forward motion, and we want you to be a part of that. Today, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, answering the question, you know, should we sin that grace may abound? That's really what this whole thing opens up with here in Romans 6. Now, if we were to think about the thought flow of what Paul had, he had just told us how that Adam's sin caused a tremendous train wreck. And then we think, oh no, Adam sinned. And now it's affected us so that there's our, our moral faculties, every, every part of us, we're corrupted. We're not corrupted to the point of inability, as Calvinists might say, but we are corrupted in the point that we are not originally righteous as if sin never entered the world. That mean, that doesn't mean that we don't have the capability, however, to repent and turn toward God, but we do have a disposition or a bent towards the things that are wrong. And so we need the Lord Jesus Christ to be doing a drastic change in us to change us, to restore us back to where we are. Now, Adam did sin, cause that train wreck of a problem. But oftentimes we look at those problems so much that we forget about the victory that is in Jesus Christ, which is how the last verse of the last chapter ends. But it says something interesting. It says that as sin reigned unto death, now grace reigns unto life through Jesus Christ. And as I said in the beginning, a lot of times people say grace is a license to sin. But let's look in Romans chapter 6, and we're probably going to go through the first 11 verses to see if that's what Paul means and see if that's what's in the scripture. So let's look there. What shall we say then, Romans 6, 1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he said. God forbid. Now, that's the thought. If grace, if, if, it's, if our keeping the law isn't saving us, then why don't we just continue living in sin? Because it seems to be that grace is abounding to undeserving people. Therefore, the logic is, let's just keep sinning so that we have more and more grace. But, but Paul says, you have not understood what grace means. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound was the natural question that a Jew would have had to a Gentile that then at that point they thought, oh, if we just take off all restraints, then this is going to be the natural outcome. So do we continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul? God forbid. Paul said it so clearly. No way. That's not what grace, the grace of God is. Another place in Jude, it says, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness or license, essentially. That is happening a lot of in our Christendom today in America and throughout the world, but that is not what Jesus died for. He didn't die to just kind of change the way he looks at us. He died to change us as people from sinful, wicked people to people who have been born again, who have been made new, who have been filled with his spirit, who have a victory over sin and walk in truth and holiness and in righteousness, being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God through the indwelling Christ. That is the gospel message, a, a message of deliverance. So he says, God forbid, we don't continue in sin that grace may abound. So then how shall we, 
that are dead to sin live any longer therein? It's a good question. If I'm dead to sin, and that's what it says earlier in these chapters, that we're buried with him in baptism, we're raised again into new life. We, then, if our, if we're dead to sin, if we were buried with Christ, how are we going to live any longer therein? And if the sin that we were committing is the thing that, that the wrath of God was abiding on us for, why would we continue to cling to it? That's kind of the reasoning that Paul has here. If we are dead to sin, how can we live any longer therein? Sin put Jesus Christ on the cross. Your sin, my sin, put Jesus Christ on the cross. Why do I want to continue living in that sin then if I've been freed from it is essentially the question. So he says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. That's what happens in salvation. When we're baptized with Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. In other words, we're saying this old life, this old me, I'm burying it with Christ because he was crucified on the cross. He went down into the depths of hell. My, my old life is now buried down into the depths of hell. I'm buried with him in baptism. I'm buried with him in the likeness of his death. So this is the, the, the kind of thing we need to be thinking about is we're paralleling what happened to Jesus in our lives because where he goes, that's where we follow, right? We're his disciples. We follow him. And so he's saying, don't you know that if you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death? Now, dear listener, if you've not experienced that death inside of you, that something of a death inside of you, you may need to pray and seek God and find if you've actually repented, if you've actually believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've really been born again, because if a death hasn't taken place, then we haven't really been, we didn't travel with Christ. We don't have the benefits then that he gives because we can't be raised to new life if we haven't died with him. That's kind of the the picture that's being sent here. So verse four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So this helps us to realize, according to Paul, that life of sin is a life of death. And we can go back in, in Romans chapter 5 and he talks about how that Adam sinned and then because of that, death reigned upon all humanity. And then he says everybody has sinned and death has reigned upon all the sinners throughout all of the land, even after the time of Moses. And we're told that sin leads to death. The wages of sin are death. We find all these terms inside the scripture. Sin is a death sentence. So we don't cling on to it because if we're Christians, we want to cling on to life. Not death, but life. And so you and I need to then look at Jesus Christ on, as he is raised up again from the dead and say, that's the life that he's given me. It's an eternal life, not a life of death. But he said, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So if you think about what baptism is, you are standing up. And then you are dunked underwater and come up. Now, we know that baptism in and of itself isn't going to save anybody. It is an outward sign of an inward change. It is the profession of faith, and I make a public witness. I have given my life over to God, and I am burying my old life here. When I come up out of the water, that old life is forever gone. That's the symbology here. So we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now think about it. When Jesus was walking on earth, he was walking amongst his disciples, right? He literally died. They saw him in the tomb. 
They saw that, you know, there was no life left for him on the cross. They wrapped him up. They put him in the tomb. They saw the body there. They saw the stone had rolled over the tomb. It had been wax sealed. But then an amazing thing happened. They went there after the Sabbath day and found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. No longer is there the dead body of Jesus in there. He's gone. And we know the story. He appears unto many. He's been resurrected from the dead in so much that people had seen him. And now, lest you think something strange about all this, you know, well, he has a resurrected body. You know, was it a real body? It was a real body. We find Jesus, when he appears to his disciples, that he says, give me fish to eat. Now, if he was just a spirit, you know, something like that, he couldn't have put fish in his mouth, ate it. It would have fallen to the ground and they would have said, ah, it's a ghost. But they saw something different. It was a body. But this body was different. He was able to walk through walls, it appears, totally different than when he had limited himself, when he was just human like you and I. And I, when I mean human, I mean a human under I guess under the curse, for lack of a better word, because then when he was resurrected, he then got that glorified human body. So here we find Jesus. It says that as he was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So if Jesus received that newness of life, that resurrection power, that resurrection life, he is saying, if that same Jesus lives in you, then you receive that resurrection in power through the glory of the Father. That is the normal Christian life, to be dead in trespasses in sin, to know that, to confess our sins out before God, to be buried with Christ in baptism, and then through faith, waiting for him to raise us up from that spiritual death that we might be raised up with him. Sounds like a victorious Christian life, right? But the problem is, is in evangelicalism often right now, it's not preached about a victorious life. It's like sometimes there's victory, but a lot of times there's defeat because we're so wicked in our flesh and our flesh and we're so wicked in our flesh and our flesh. I hear that happen so many times. But when you read through the New Testament, you find a note of victory repeatedly. You find promises of victory repeatedly. You see Christ on the throne. You see him raised from the dead. You see that as he walked on the earth, so you ought also to walk if he dwells within you. We find all these wonderful pictures of deliverance and victory. And yet sometimes we like to grovel back in the, well, Adam sinned. And so we're in big trouble and we can't help but sin anymore. That's not the way Paul thought. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he said, God forbid. So for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So we were planted together in the likeness of his death. If that's happened to us, then we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So that's that's a conditionality. Has that happened to you, dear listener? Have you been planted with him in his death? If so, then we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And what should we know? He said, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That old man, that old self, that self bound in sin. He said, that is crucified. The old man is crucified with him. For what purpose? We're told here the purpose is that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin might be destroyed, not rendered inactive, not just kind of, you know, a little tug of war going on anymore, but destroyed. Why does he want to destroy the body of sin? That henceforth we should not serve sin. That begs the question, what is the body of sin? The body of sin is that 
carnal bent inside the heart. It's the fountain from where all sin came. That doesn't mean that we get to a place where we never have any temptations, but he destroys the body of sin if the old man is crucified because crucifixion leads to death. So there's even a deeper death after one is saved where he removes that carnal bent and he's saying that old man is crucified on the cross with Jesus for this reason, the body of sin might be destroyed. And we look a little bit into that in Romans chapter seven, uh, but we aren't going to get there today. So he said, for he that is freed from sin, for he that is dead, excuse me, is freed from sin because we're not serving sin anymore. I'm dead. Sin was held, held me and had chains upon me, but I am dead. And so now I'm free. Does that sound like somebody who is still saying, oh, Father Adam did all this terrible stuff. And, you know, I'm just going to sin in thought, word, and deed every day of my life. It doesn't sound like that to me at all. He said, he that is dead is freed from sin. Dear listener, have you been freed? Have you been freed through the power of Jesus Christ that you don't serve sin anymore? He's given you victory in your soul. That is the gospel message. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So eternal life begins here and now. The moment that you are born again, the moment you are saved, eternal life begins. And we're told that as Jesus dies no more, death has no more dominion over him, the wonderful blessing to the Christian is, if we have been saved, if we've been buried with him in baptism, if we've been raised in the likeness of his resurrection, if we have been given the victory and the power over those sins that used to enslave us, then eternal life has begun here and now, and death doesn't have any more dominion over us as we were reading about in Romans chapter 5. Remember, sin because of Adam's sin, death reigned over all. He said, if you are now born again, if you've received the resurrection power of Christ in your life, death doesn't have any more dominion over you. That should be a reason for us to rejoice. It begins here and now, eternal life, and it just keeps on going. Thank God. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God forever. So once and for all, Jesus died unto sin, but he lives to God forever. And so here is, here's what's told us. If that's what Jesus did, here's what you do. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So dear listener, that is for us. We are to follow what Jesus did. We, he died unto sin once and lives unto God forever. He died for sin once and lives unto God forever. You and I die unto sin now. We reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Jesus Christ. No more is sin the master. No more does sin have a place inside of the life of a Christian. God can give victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that where you are, dear listener? Are you in a life of victory? If you're not, you can seek God, repent, and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and watch him raise you up to new life. Lord bless you. 